0: Today's conversation is with Dr. Eric Yarnell. Dr. Yarnell is a naturopathic doctor, also a specialist in urology. So he and I are one of the few that have a narrow specialty. We go narrow and deep. He's also interested in all sorts of urinary tract problems, including kidney stones in both men and women. Uh, Dr. Yarnell's goal is to provide extraordinary personalized care for his patients working to only relieve symptoms or not to only relieve symptoms as he can, but also to find the causes behind the symptoms. These are the naturopathic medicine principles, of course. Dr. Yonel has published hundreds of articles about urology, herbal medicine, and related fields. He has also published numerous textbooks, including the most recent Natural Approach to Urology, the second edition. Lastly, Dr. Yonel is a professor of Herbal Medicine and Urology at Bastyr University. Today's conversation with Eric was great. He is the only other naturopathic doctor that has such a narrow specialty in urology. So we tend to learn from each other quite a bit since he and I are the few that practice urology on a day-to-day basis. He's also a botanical medicine expert. So we spoke a little bit about herbal medicines in general, just general ideas and overview. How does he prescribe? Does he use tinctures versus pills? If so, what kind and so forth. And then we went in into numerous urological problems and talked about how to treat different urological problems with botanical medicines. What were the right botanicals for different urological problems. So it's a great pleasure to have Dr. Eric Yarnell on the podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my goal and intention to help you optimize, improve your prostate health and how to live better with age. Eric, thanks for being on, man. You're a hard guy to track, I have to say. Um, but this, uh, when I invited you f- to the podcast, it, was, it wasn't as arduous. And plus, then you needed some, I believe, urologist re- recommendations in New York, and then we just kept staying in touch uh, through text. So I- I'll take it. However way it worked, I'll take it to have you... And speak to you and kind of geek out a little bit on certain things uh, related to urology and botanicals. I- I'll take it. So, thanks for being on.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Eric, you know, when in our world of naturopathic medicine, anytime somebody says, you know, prostate urology, don't really two names come up, maybe three. One is, you know, my name, and the other one is Eric Yarnell. We're, and actually, I have to say that you were involved in urology, I want to say, before I even became involved in urology, because uh, I remember reading your book, Naturopathic Urology, uh, or Naturopathic Medicine and Urology. And I wasn't still, I uh, believe, towards the end of my training. Um, so you've been around doing this probably even longer than I have, it sounds like. But- 1996. 96. Wow. <laughs> several years before I, I got <laughs> going. And then, um, but as it relates to an expert in botanical medicine, uh, my name doesn't come up much. Your name comes <laughs> up. So my you really have taken off with being this authority figure in, in naturopathic urology and botanical medicine separately. And of course, how one affects the other, how do, like what was your how did that happen? I know how that happened, hard work and dedication, but what was your what what drove your passion to do so?
1: Yeah, really um it's kind of a hilarious story because I actually started out in naturopathic school doing midwifery. Oh. And I was very passionate about how industrialized childbirth had gotten and how you know, was they were all using all sorts of machines they didn't need to use and drugs. And so I was, Yeah. You know, which of course, every step of the way, everyone's like, you can't be a male midwife, which is ridiculous. Dr. It's Bastier true. was a midwife. Dr. Bazzorna was a midwife. Dr. Mitchell, like that used to be part of our profession is you did human birth anyway. But I did go to my first actual birth as just an observer. Yeah. And it, Just by total chance, it lasted for three days. It was very unusual, and I was a wreck. I'm like, no, I cannot function without sleep. Like, I'm actually dangerous without sleep. So
0: this is not a good path for me. By the way, you made that very clear to me when we were scheduling for this podcast. (laughs) That's right. Just make sure it's not too early. (laughs) (laughs) Decision, know thyself. Yes.
1: Anyway, I was also... When that hall came down, it also, like, we had there was no class in men's health. There was a class called urology where we touched on it, and there was no class on kidney health, on how to treat people with kidney disease at that time. Right. So then I completely switched and went into what I thought of as men's health, but really it was urology. Uh, but anyway, my. My mentor was Dr. Selena Heron, who was the first chair of botanical medicine at Bastier University, the naturopathic medical school. And so even though I was clinically doing urology, I was learning from her, like, how do you use herbs to do everything? And she was amazing. Amazing. So,
0: yeah. I mean, you could yeah. have been an expert uh, and, and grown love and interest into, right? Because part of naturopathic medicine, I don't think many of our listeners know, there are many modalities that we learn. We learn hydrotherapy. By the way, isn't it hilarious how hydrotherapy is so popular now? And we've learned this. We've been doing this for 100, you know, over 100 years. It, it's, it's really, I find that to be amusing. Sun therapy, right? Um, but we also learn uh, things like clinical nutrition. And some people just, you know, focus on that and kind of leave everything else behind. Homeopathy for some, for others, they become homeopaths. You really went on and, 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 and became an authority in botanical medicine. Um, so that's, that was your inspiration back then. Unfortunately, I didn't take that class. I, obviously, I didn't go to Bastyr either. Um, but I did read many of your books and uh, many of the chapters, of course, that you've written for some of the books I've been involved in. So thank you for that as well. It's my pleasure. Um let's we i think that where we're gonna go with this and you can kind of take this and uh we're gonna flow here uh we're gonna dance and we'll see how our you know so i'm a salsa dancer uh uh so when you dance in salsa you kind of flow together it's like tango you flow but every now and then you know a mistake happens and but no one should know so let's 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 see if we could do that let's dance and if if we if we hit a bump in the road eh, no one should really know um as it relates to botanical medicine, which is also a passion of mine, although, uh, you know, I became I think I think you inspired me. I don't know if you're still involved, but back in the day, I became part of the it's almost like, OK, whatever Eric does, I will do. All right. So, oh, wait a minute. He, he is part of the American Herbalist Guild. I'll be part of the American Herbalist Guild. What else? I, I, I read your articles at uh you know uh, uh ABC guide and and so I'm going to be a part of that the botanical group out in Austin Texas. So where or should I say what is the best what is botanical medicine let's take it from a very fundamental cuz I don't want to sometimes I get to I lose my audience cuz I it's you know, I live in my head right? What's botanical medicine? What's herbal medicine? Are they the same?
1: Yeah, they're the same. Um, I I guess uh, I think a really important, crucial point to make these days is it's about using whole plants for medicine. Okay. Because we're starting to drift into this. We're taking constituents out of the plants and giving those as drugs. Sure. Which is fine. I'm not against that, but to my mind, that's not botanical medicine. That's that's pharmaceutical medicine, which it again is. has sure. its place. I'm not against, it. I'm just saying we get confused. And so, what's really, an example of that, Eric? So a great example is um, curcumin. Yep, coming from the plant turmeric. Mm-hmm. Turmeric has been used since before the advent of writing. Right, it was already a domesticated plant by the time writing was invented, whatever, 5,000 years ago. Right. So it's been in continuous human use and it wasn't curcumin. It was whole turmeric. Right. Like, Why do we know about curcumin? Because people use turmeric for 10,000 years. So curcumin is just one, like it's 5% of what's in turmeric. There's no way the other 95% is garbage and you should throw it away. That is not, Logical, and we have tons of studies that show there's all sorts of other medicinal constituents. So just using curcumin, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like, so to me, it's always go back to the history mm-hmm. and think about that. And does it make sense? No. Why would they? Why would we throw away all this other stuff? It just it it almost never makes sense.
0: Well, this, no. it's, it's, there's a physical, uh, philosophical reason there as well, which I can actually very much appreciate. But let me play a little devil's advocate here because <laughs> I use a lot of curcumin. But again, I listen. <laughs> You're not alone. The so way I've made a lot of decisions based on on your recommendations, like for example, I have not used uh, what's the uh, botanical for the pro- Well. There's not, there's no such thing as a botanical herb for the prostate, but Pygium africanum. In about 15 years, when you and I had a conversation, and you're like, "Geo is an endangered spe- species," I was like, "That's it for me." So let's find other things to use. For example, so you have a lot of influence in my in my work. So without to play devil's advocate with your curcumin and turmeric story, and I don't disagree, of course, is well, I want more of a therapeutic dose with what I'm trying to accomplish with my patient. And sometimes you need more of that active ingredient than 20 other active or 100 other active ingredients. In other words, it's not a matter of a conversation of, well, you're not practicing botanical medicine and then you're practicing more like pharmaceutical medicine. Okay, that's, that's fine. But what I'm really looking at is rather than calling it something is I want a therapeutic dose with what I'm trying to accomplish here uh, therapeutically. Mm -hmm. Is your argument more of like, well, so then let's not call it botanical medicine and it's perfectly fine to use that way, or let's not use herbs that way, period. Let's not standardize and extract make extractions from the the whole plant. What is your, what is your, the main point you're trying to make here?
1: Well, there's several. The, The first is, and I think this is a great example with curcumin and it's not any one company or thing, but we've been sold the idea of curcumin by supplement companies. Sure. Right. And yep. it's, and they're not evil. They're not bad for doing that, but they've been, especially in this case, is really weird because we've been sold this idea on the pharmacokinetics, like how you absorb, this constituent, mm-hmm. which, there, of course, there's some relevance to that. But at the end of the day, the goal is not for the patient to absorb it, it's for the patient to get better.
0: Right.
1: So where are the studies that show curcumin is better than turmeric, that this better absorbed thing, which actually is highly contentious and has not been proven that it's actually better that it's yeah. more absorbed because i can send you studies right now that show it's not better absorbed than curcumin from the whole root or rhizome that is mm-hmm. so we've been sold this bill of goods and it's not true so what we what we would need is a study that shows head to head turmeric is better than curcumin or vice, vice versa And no one that I've been able to find from searching, no one's ever even done that study. No. So there's no way to know what's better. However, there are studies on whole turmeric using very low doses, 500 milligrams three times a day, not a curcumin of whole turmeric, that treat things like lupus nephritis. (laughs) That is not a minor condition. That's a serious disease. And people got better, so there's no way curcumin was the active constituent. There were only 20 milligrams of curcumin in 500 milligrams of this extract they used. Right. So, so to me, what I'm really passionate about is this idea of synergy. That
0: yeah,
1: yeah, that there isn't a, an active constituent. There are many, many, many. And some of those are doing things that don't even have anything directly to do with the disease they are just about like absorption enhancement or preventing you know excretion of the constituent or whatever so that's why I'm so passionate about it.
0: Have you read anything on on a recent podcast, not my own uh, some other uh, this notion that curcumin lowers the production of dihydrotestosterone from testosterone. I've tried to look it up and this is like one of the major podcasters that, you know, very science based and I haven't been able to find any significant uh, papers on that. Do you know anything about that?
1: Doesn't ring a bell.
0: Yeah. Neither for me either. And I've used it on patients and I've never seen that reduction. You know, I do appreciate this conversation quite a bit because, you know, again, with trusted sources, I, you know, look, if I'm a trusted source in my little world of prostate and urology for people, I take that very seriously. Um, uh, You're my trusted source with, you know, uh, certainly with botanicals. And so I I take notes. Um, Is that your biggest beef with the industry right now? Or or, are there others? It's
1: a pretty big beef. (laughs) Let me make one other point about the turmeric, especially, which is there is a problem with whole turmeric, which is it's really high in oxalic acid, like way higher than any food that we typically think of, like spinach or rhubarb that are high in oxalates.
0: And, and what the, what's the problem with that for our listeners?
1: The problem that's most known with that is it can lead to kidney stones for some people. Mm-hmm. Some other people seem to have, it. it's like an irritant. So some people with interstitial cystitis, who have a lot of who eat a lot of oxalates it seems to aggravate it um so yeah so the the big concern is is kidney stone production but traditionally turmeric was almost always eaten with some kind of milk right and what's in milk lots of calcium yeah what does calcium do it binds oxalates so Yeah. No one knew there was such a thing as oxalate when this was figured out, but they figured out that this is what you have to do. So, again, it's like we've forgotten all this incredible, rich, powerful information from history that's really important, even if we don't always know why. Mm. Um, There's also a famous thing that's, that's widely known, which is it was also commonly used with this stuff called long pepper, but also black pepper. They're very similar that we now know helps increase the absorption of curcumin and other probably other constituents so yeah if you're going to use whole turmeric it is important that you take it with some kind of calcium source whether it's milk or
0: and a is, this or to, is this specific to stone formers as opposed to just a general population?
1: That's right. Yeah. Anyone with a problem with oxalates, yeah,
0: um, calcium oxalate, which is a common, uh, about 85% of kidney stones. Yeah. Uh, that's good to know. Or okay. take curcumin. No, you, you, you still wouldn't say to, just- or
1: in those, some cases, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, for whatever reason. We're running into a problem with the calcium thing. Then, yeah. And so, again, I'm not saying curcumin is evil, (laughs) right? Exactly. I don't want to give that impression. I want to just say, most of the time, is it really the best form? And I think the answer is almost certainly going to be
0: no. Yeah, I I I I agree. Here's another question: as or at least the the proper use of botanicals. I've been in several discussions. with discussions and other podcasters with people that are scientists, but not necessarily trained in botanical medicine or naturopathic medicine, but later on became interested. And they're very much firm with single use of, uh, of herbs as opposed to formulas. We are trained to use formulas because each herb does something different uh, depending on what we're trying to accomplish or uh, the condition we're trying to treat. What are your views on that um, formulas versus single ingredient, uh, uh, for, uh, single ingredient botanicals, and when do you use one versus the other, if at all?
1: Yeah, this is the next layer of synergy. I almost always formulate. Yeah, and yeah, that was certainly what I was taught, and it was yeah, exactly the reason you say that herbs work together and. Yeah that that's powerful um and that's certainly what i see clinically that it, it works really well um, but there are occasions i use single herbs um, uh, so a really good urological example is i use this herb that's called kella as a an herb that relaxes the prostate in the bladder so just when there's these Irritative symptoms. People are having to get up at night frequently to urinate. There's urgency. Right. That um, works really, really
0: well. That's K H E L L A, Kella. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Tell me more about that. Uh, I obviously I see a lot a lot of those patients, and I use different botanicals, not Kella. So these are patients with overactive bladder, urinary frequency getting up at night to urinate three, four times a night, mm-hmm. those type of patients. Um, prostatitis, maybe?
1: Um, yeah, sometimes. If yeah. those symptoms are predominant. Um, yeah, even just in large prostate, that's not that large, it's just spasming. Yeah. It's irritating.
0: So is it an antispasmolytic um, herb?
1: It's a spasmolytic Technically, an anti-spasmodic. Sorry, that, 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 yeah, right.
0: <laughs> no double ant, negatives. Ant, either anti-spasm uh, herb or a, a spasmolytic, uh, right? Thank you. Eager, for that. Yeah, as I said, it. I was like, yeah. wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, thank you. The spasmolytic <laughs> yeah, herb that I use often in my a lot of my urological patients is Scutellaria. Um. I think I learned that from you as well. Of course, um, it's a good one. so I, right because to me is like, all right, how many is there? are Quite a few spasmolytic herbs that are amazing. All right, which one is like? So then you kind of experiment and you see which one seems to work best. kella sa- sounds very interesting. Is that your most? Is that is that your biggest go to? It is okay.
1: Yeah, cool. my experience that's what's worked the best. And having
0: tried several, um, yeah, as a single herb. Hmm. Uh, a question that I, I have for you for later, um, but we can uh, you can answer now. Do you use Kela as a tincture or capsule or pill?
1: It's only available as a tincture. Oh, there's no other that. form. Or you know, I mean, these days, of course, you can look up on the internet and find all kinds of things. Sure, but the this is another one of my. Back to the what are my beefs with the industry? Right, I mean there's so much low quality herb material, yeah, adulterated herb material, contaminated herb material. Like you can't just buy whatever you find online. Right. There was a terrifying report that just came out from of people basically buying this certain brand of supplements on Amazon and they were totally fake they had duplicated right. the labels of this company the everything but it was just they were the pills were just inert they had nothing. they were just filled with chalk or whatever
0: yeah so, that's a huge problem in the industry for sure
1: huge problem so you really have to know your suppliers and you can't yeah so you might see some so if you see a Kela capsule online, I would say question it strongly. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know of it from any reliable supplier. Um, so yeah, tincture is the only way.
0: Eric Kava, Kava for prostatitis, find it to be very helpful. Um, there again, single agent use, and which is what I do. And that when when I do use it, I use it as a a single agent. You a single agent. Um, probably, I, and I use mostly tinctures, I believe, um, sometimes capsule, depending on what the patient needs. Tell tell, tell me why I do that. Because uh, again, I think, <laughs> <as> an, <laughs> tell me why I do that. And any concerns that I have to ask, of course, where, please don't shoot me. Any concerns with liver toxicity, which I know the answer, but I think there's a good conversation to have as our audience, when they look up kava, they see, you know, warning signs all over the place. So, Take it away.
1: So, yeah, let's start with the good story and then I'll get mad. (laughs) Not at you, (laughs) at the world. Um, We know about kava for, I'm going to say pelvic pain more generally. Yeah. Because, or at least the, the source I've been able to track it back to were these folks called the eclectics. So these were medical doctors in the late 1800s, so mid to late 1800s. Actually they they existed until the 1930s who basically practiced naturopathic medicine. And right. meaning and they were called eclectic because they would use anything. It didn't matter if it was an herb, a homeopathic, surgery drugs. Their their idea was what helps the the patient, right? Anyway, so there were there were eclectic medical schools that trained people to do natural medicine. So anyway, they used kava for pelvic pain. Right. That's that was its primary use. They don't talk about it for anxiety, insomnia. It was pelvic pain, and it's like, when did we forget about that? You know. Yeah. Like, and yeah. these these were not just like whatever they saw a few. These were like doctors seeing hundreds of patients regularly all the time. Before drug, most drugs existed, like these were the tools, and so they had incredible experience. Now, of course, they weren't always right, but for this, I think they were really right. Um, so now we know it has effects on GABA, and I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, but it clearly is a pain reliever in for the for this kind of more neuropathic, I don't know, I, It's less useful in my experience when it's really more more inflammatory prostatitis sure. it's better when it's more
0: neuropathic it's
1: not so inflammatory it's yeah more nerve like, related yeah, the... which a lot i would mm-hmm.
0: say well i would say in my experience m- most prostatitis aka pelvic pain because it could be scrotal pain or in women right interstitial cystitis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it's a fine combination of both uh, chicken, and, chicken and an egg scenario that inflammation caused ne- ne- neuropathic pain or uh, induced neuropathic uh, pain. Um, but, um, and Kava is great. The Kava is great. Now, question what's the, what's, why are people so concerned about liver toxicity? And how did everyone get it wrong? And, you know, now we're at a point where can we go to the, you know, this Kava bar is all over the place, you know. I I don't know if you know that. Can we go to the Kava bar and have a couple of Kava drinks without, you know, having liver problems? Uh, So what's the story there?
1: This is so upsetting. It's, it's, this is literally a smear campaign on Kava. Right. So... Um, And there's been two strains of it. The first strain comes directly out of the colonial invasion of Australia and the Pacific Islands, where kava was part of the culture, was ingrained, regularly used, had ritual uses, had all these uses. And so it was banned and it was demonized. And, you know, as colonization kind of degraded the cultures, then it started to become a drug of abuse. And people would actually take so much kava that it would hurt them. And we're talking about drinking like an alcoholic level, but kava instead of alcohol, or actually both in most cases. And people would get liver damage and they would get these horrible skin rashes. But this was not because kava is toxic it's because colonialism is toxic right and destroying a culture or trying to causes problems okay so there was like that gross stuff and, and literally australian government paid to publish studies to demonize kava and to make it look way worse than it really is anyway wow so that was kind of in the background
0: but then what, what, in the any 90s, idea why they did that What's the what's the, what was like, their motive? Like
1: the same as every. Why did they ban kilts and the Gaelic language in Ireland and Scotland? Why did they ban people speaking their languages in North America? Because that's yeah. how you destroy a culture. Oh, you I see. destroy their language. You stop the transmission of ideas. You destroy the core of a culture and that, then it's destroyed and you get to take over. And kava was a key component of Polynesian, Micronesian, etc. culture. So they rec they saw that and they recognized they needed to attack that. Right. So a horrible dark um thing. Anyway, so in the 90s, Kava as a supplement had nevertheless became a big deal because all this research showed it was helpful for anxiety and insomnia. And so then there were these cases that were reported to the German, mostly to the German FDA, the equivalent of the FDA in Germany, which is called B-Farm. There were a few in Switzerland and a couple in France, you know. So these were cases in Europe of supposed, like, severe liver damage, like transplant needed in some cases. And so then, like, almost overnight, CAVA was banned all over Europe, Canada. I'm really proud to say one place it was never banned was United States, which is really That's weird because right. normally the FDA is pretty anti-ER, but they kind of said at the time, like, there's how many cases? 15? We had 15 cases of acetaminophen-induced liver failure yesterday. That's right. So we don't ban things based on – so. Well, it just came out, the, basically the highest court in Germany, like the Supreme Court, heard a case from the Kava manufacturers in Germany saying this whole scenario of banning Kava was illegal. And so the German court reviewed all the records from the German FDA and everything that happened, and they agreed. They said this, the banning, it was illegal. There was actually no evidence that Kava hurt anyone's liver. No one, there is no case. Every single case they analyzed, the court, and said they were either taking other substances that could hurt their liver, they had a disease that probably caused it, or they were alcoholic. There is literally no evidence that kava as a supplement, as we're kind of using it now, has any danger. Now, could you go to a kava bar and drink so much kava day in and day out for months on end to hurt your liver? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that's not what we're talking
0: yeah, about. Yeah, I haven't seen that, and I'm sure that I, that would have made news already if that would have happened. Um, and there's, there's, there's a there's a couple, there's quite a few kava bars out there, and now people coming with unique drinks, uh, kava drinks. Great. That's Kava. Um, good. Thanks thanks for clearing that up. Tinctures, liquids versus capsules. What we were trained, or at least I was trained, to use liquids and you know, we have all, you know, we have the bottles of each ingredient, you know, each ingredient. We kind of come with a formula, then we pour it all in all into a bottle and we prescribe it to the patient. I never was able to do that clinically because it's just too messy. And I've been working in academic institutions since day one. So I didn't have the luxury, just like I could not use moxa in acupuncture. I could not create my (laughs) own tinctures. Uh, I didn't have the space for it, et cetera. So I've been using either uh, tinctures that are already pre-formulated or capsules. What is the... What is your your approach? Uh, is it, am I, you know, true botanical medicine people are true to the tincture, it seems like to me, right? Um, what is your approach? When do you use one versus the other?
1: I mostly use tinctures I for several reasons. Um, so there's a shelf stability yeah. issue because the alcohol preserves them. So there's the fact that you can take a fresh plant and preserve it in that state indefinitely There's no other probably ready i mean I, yeah that's an open question but for many years for sure any other dose form you have to dry the herb which is fine but in many herbs it changes the chemistry and for some it really clearly i would say just wipes them out like they're just no good but it definitely gives us that ability to Mix and blend so I can treat many different things in the same person. So it's there's an efficiency that's pretty great. And it has this amazing I mean, I guess it's a placebo effect, whatever you want to call it, of this sort of magic potion sort of effect. Like I blended these things for you, it's unique to you. And that has power. People really respond to that and the personal attention that entails, but also. Yeah, that there is this this sense of magic about it. I don't know. Right. I don't right. think there's any magic about it, but it's it's that human connection magic. Like that's mm-hmm. real.
0: Before we continue, let's give a little love to today's sponsor. You know, I always say, no man wakes up in the morning and says, "Wow, I can't wait to get that prostate biopsy today," right? No man does. And the PSA test, we know, is not the greatest screening tool for prostate cancer. Well, now we have the ExoDX prostate test, which is the only risk assessment tool available as an at home collection kit, so patients can provide a specimen in the comfort and convenience of their home. The ExoDX prostate test has been included in the NCCN guidelines since 2019 for early detection of prostate cancer. And it's a simple, no digital rectal prostate exam required urine-based test for men over 40, or if there's a PSA roughly in that gray zone between 2 and 10 nanograms per milliliter to determine if you indeed need a prostate biopsy. So ask your urologist about the XODX prostate test.
1: I also think it's important because... Speaking of connection, like one of the causes of disease is disconnection from nature. Right. And part of that is we don't know what plants are. We don't know what's safe. We are scared of them. We don't know what they look like. I mean, we don't know how to identify them. And making people taste their herbs is one kind of connection. Right. Back to nature. And I think that's and I tell people this. I'm like, it's important that you taste it, even if it's not the greatest thing um yeah
0: you need to know what that kava feels in your mouth that tingling sensation that's very unique to kava for example right
1: i point out to people all the time if you can get used to coffee which does not taste good coffee is a bad taste right but obviously and partly i say because most people don't like coffee they like sugar and milk Right. Because what do they right. get, exactly. get? Exactly. These drinks, all this stuff. So it's Lock like, so you don't like coffee, but you can get used to coffee. You can get used to anything. So I give people some pretty bad tasting herbs. Listen, and I agree just with like you, you'll get right. used to
0: it. I agree with you, tasty herbs. And we thank goodness that I had that training initially where we walked around and we had we've picked out herbs and we tried them. Um, I, I'm glad that I had that in the beginning of my training. I tell you, there's one that I struggle with, and it's because it stinks. And then if it smells bad, is going to taste bad. Kind of association. That's valerian root. What doesn't the story- it smell bad? It's a. Am I confused? Is it what's the one that <laughs> smells good? Everyone, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Bad, no, but- maybe. Maybe it's not Valeria, but it's one of those... No, uh, it is. Uh, yeah. it, 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 that's the one, isn't it? That we yeah. people Everyone use for sleep, we use for sleep and so forth?
1: I'm just trying to make the same point, that it's all, like, there's all kinds... Like, again, I think coffee smells horrible. It really makes me sick no, to my stomach. Valeria Root.
0: Listen, you open up a bottle of Valeria Root in the middle of a, a, a room with five people there. Most people would say, what did a... Did something die? Is that a skunk? Is there a skunk in the house? I've tried to give that to my kids, actually in tincture form, for sleep and you know, kind of calm them down. And uh, that was a, a they they kind of you know puked. So anyway, um, I, I I and I then I tried and I was like yeah I yeah I didn't say <laughs> like, God what what what's going on there, Um so. Tell us about the process of making a tincture because you mentioned that it preserves it but I don't think a lot of people know actually that they're drinking alcohol when they when they're having a, a minor amounts but it's still alcohol that they're taking in with the herb. What what is that process and what does alcohol do other than the preservation of the herb? What what does it extract from the from the plant?
1: Yeah, it's not it's not very complicated. It's basically you take the herb and you know, in my opinion, you process it the least possible. So you might be chopping it up, but not into tiny bits. It's just you know chunks, and you just put it in a container with alcohol and usually water mixed.
0: Um, what type of alcohol? What uh, uh, proof grain alcohol it, or
1: really it can be any kind, but it, and the amount does depend on the herb. So one cool thing about alcohol is you can uh, you can adjust how what it's going to extract by mixing with water, so alcohol is what we would call a polar solvent, so it if you have pure alcohol, it dissolves other um excuse me nonpolar solvent it dissolves other nonpolar things like fats, um resins, the compounds that are in volatile oils yeah. very oil soluble things. But if you just dilute it with water, it becomes it will dissolve things that are water-soluble. So you can extract any kind of herb with it. And if you kind of do it in the middle, like 50-50, you can practically get everything. So, yeah, I actually did a study, which I was never able to get published. Just the journals didn't have interest in it, showing uh, uh-huh. that, yeah, you could actually get a very broad extraction with just alcohol and you didn't need to do fancy solvents and it was some of the lipid soluble things and some of the water soluble things um, so it's a preservative that's safe at, especially at these levels and yeah you can really get a, a good broad representative mix so that's getting back to that synergy and wanting yeah you know the broad range of constituents
0: What's a and I know it depends on the formula and on the herbs in the formula. What what's a this uh, what you, what you would you say is a, a pretty typical dosage of these, um, of of the tinctures? And the reason I ask, of course, is also a you know what I want to know what's the therapeutic dosage is, but also there's a lot of people that I believe have alcohol problems, like they're they're either recovery or, uh, you know, uh, or 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 they have a problem that may not even be aware of. So I want, to, I want to always be careful with such people. So what's a typical dosage, and what do you do with such people that are uh, sober? Well, it
1: really isn't an herb by herb basis, but when I'm formulating, I, I kind of formulate to a teaspoon dose, usually three times a day, which is another, this is a common criticism of herbal medicine that I I get, that you do have to, Take it more frequently, um, but yeah. Anyway, it, more any frequently herbs, than
0: three times a day,
1: meaning three times a day, like more than once a day. Yeah, yeah. And but yeah, I would. One point I want to make about that is I would say one of the main reasons that patients come to me and herbs haven't worked for them is they don't take enough. People yeah. underdose all yeah. the time yeah. because of money because yeah. it's it seems expensive, but if you take too low of a dose and it doesn't work you're literally throwing your money away like you're not doing yourself any good and that's true of anything of course you don't buy penicillin and take one tenth the dose because it's expensive right that's right that's right (laughs) it's now infinitely expensive because it won't work at one tenth the dose um and the amount of alcohol is trivial but yeah of course if someone doesn't want any we don't use that and i always point out it does have alcohol uh, the other instance that comes up in is, you know, various religions prohibit alcohol, um, but at least for Islam, Seventh Day Adventists, Mormons—those are the three I can think of. I, I went to spiritual leaders and said, "Isn't it true that that prohibition is when you're using alcohol as a, you know, to change your mind, right? As a recreational substance? What if it's medicine?" And everyone agreed unhesitatingly yeah that's right it's about recreation you can use it as medicine absolutely right so i've same thing with the jewish
0: community where they're very much into kosher but for example i've recommended glucosamine which is a shellfish and as derived from shellfish and but if i recommend it for medicinal purposes they oftentimes are able to to take it same so same kind of rules apply if it's for medicinal purposes yeah
1: yeah of course we always want to respect people's wishes and, or yeah, not allow someone to relapse, avoiding alcohol or whatever. So yeah, there's, that's, a, that would be a time we would think about other dose forms for sure.
0: Eric, you spoke about quality problems with quality and herbs. How do we best navigate through that? Right. So I have a, I have a system with some of my formulations, the system is, you know, Obviously, they send you the batch quality uh, control, and there's a, a a document that says it is what it is. It's not contaminated. Then we do further testing with that. Uh, uh, no, we kind of ignore that first documentation and send it out for other testing to make sure that it matches. Make sure it is what it's supposed to be. Make sure that it's not contaminated with microbes and metals and things or too high metals. But as we know, as the situation in Amazon occurred where people are still getting, you know, nothing literally inside the bottle, there is nothing. is not, not only does it not match the label, you're getting nothing oftentimes. How do we why is that happening? Because I, you would think that government is on top of that. That would never happen in, in our government or that would never pass our governmental standards. And when we when we talk about botanicals what does quality what are we looking for what what is quality as it relates to herbals and botanicals
1: well the the easy question to answer is why is it happening which is money yeah. um because it's easy to put a fake product on the market the basically there's no way to pre clear anything it's not true with drugs like the FDA doesn't go and inspect every single bottle of Tylenol that goes out right there's no way you could do that so there's a certain level of trust and the reality is bad actors can sell garbage and people don't know that just seems like oh it says it has turmeric in it it must be good right but it could just have yellow food coloring and chalk and it's garbage so you know eventually they get found out And they get shut down, and then literally the next day, you just start a new website and just put a new label on it, and you're back in business. So it's really, really challenging. Um, So the way we get around that, again, is by knowing our suppliers. Right. So if you – I mean, buying ingredients on just the open market is a problem even because Mm – yeah, there's all kinds of counterfeit ingredients out there. And it's sure. important, like you said, you can't trust what's called a certificate of analysis. Like the,
0: That's a printout. A, so the yeah. certificate Who of analysis. I could print one out right now. <laughs> that's right. You could yeah. just
1: make that up right now. So you have to verify. But, I mean, I'm at the level where I go – I know the people. I've gone to the farms where they're growing the herbs. I know personally right. who's growing this herb, and there's yeah. no – middleman which could be a woman (laughs) I hate that word but it's like I buy the herb from the grower I make it into medicine no one else touches that herb
0: I love it yeah
1: and it comes whole it doesn't come as a powder (laughs) this was actually a fight we had with the FDA they're like you can't identify an herb by looking at it because they're used to people buying powders Are like let us show you that we just got dandelion and can you identify this yes that's dandelion There's no contamination, right? Right. Like there's no adulteration, I should say. So anyway, it's knowing your suppliers. It's asking these questions like, how do you know where it's coming from? But right now, this is something you brought up earlier that's so important. The first question needs to be, is this sustainable? Where did this come from? Is this endangered? Because there's lots of common herbs that are endangered species that everyone just seems to be like, la, 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 la. <laughs> you know, they're just, uh, so I could go on and on about Boswellia or frankincense. That is a critically endangered herb. Oh,
0: um, you're killing me now. Yes, See, I I, I, I I don't know. I don't know. You're killing Boswellia. I do use a lot of, I didn't know that actually. Uh, which are the others?
1: Uh, so myrrh. Yeah, endangered. um Uh, there's What's the other one in that? Um, and in that very similar family is the herb is called commonly called Google, not like the website. But
0: G-U-G-U-G-L or G-U-L, G-U-L, right for cholesterol. Yeah. That's right. I haven't used it in um, a while. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very, very problematic. And this it's a combination of. The climate catastrophe is really impacting where these herbs grow. There's wars happening. You know, there was just a terrible civil war in Ethiopia. Oh, there's terrible ongoing wars in Somalia. And these are the Yemen, one of the worst wars in the world is being now just completely ignored. Like, oh, white people in Ukraine are in trouble. Better help them. Oh, brown people in Yemen are being annihilated every day. Whatever. Um, It's really horrible. Uh, so, yeah, lots of really big impacts on those sort of desert, Middle Eastern, Central Asian species. Um, the pygmy you mentioned is a big one. So endangered. Just there's no reason to use that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree
1: La, with that. Is, does everything it does. There, Not anything against Pygeum, It's a great herb. It's just it's. It's a bark of a tree that's slow growing and it's just massively over harvested. Uh, yeah, those are the ones that leap to mind.
0: DNA testing for botanicals. So, several years ago, God, I, I run out of, you know, I lose track of time. Maybe even 10 years ago, here in the uh, New York, they claimed that a few herbs were not what they supposed to be and companies got in trouble because they did DNA testing on these herbs. What is the. If you remember the story, and you can oh, yeah. Very familiar. talk about it a little bit. And how was it that these, that DNA testing for these herbs were probably not the best form of testing uh, for these botanicals? Uh, take us through that process.
1: Yeah, there's many, many problems with this, which at first seems like so obviously the right answer. But, you know, when we're talking about a lot of herb products, they've been ground up, they've been extracted. And basically the DNA has been, it's either not there or it's been broken down. So that it's doesn't not mean that it's a bad thing. There. That doesn't mean that's it's not right. a
0: therapeutic no. uh, aspect to the herb, right?
1: That's right. You don't need the DNA. <laughs> right. So you may not detect the DNA because it's not there because we didn't extract it. We don't need it, but it still came from that plant. So yeah, that, so yeah, that's a huge issue. Um, there's also the issue of, it's not like you're sequencing the entire genome of the supplement, right? You're—they basically have these certain markers, but plants, like all living organisms, are highly variable. They don't play by this rulebook that they have identical genes. So, and there's mutations. So, and the you—you you may have a variety that doesn't have that the marker they're looking for, but it's still that plant. It's just your markers flawed. So, no one's ever validated. A marker in these cases to say, like, this one is 100% accurate for all varieties, because that would be incredibly expensive to do. Um, so, yeah, I would say the testing method is deeply flawed, and they were, the regulators were playing on people's ignorance to That's make right. it sound like supplements are really bad and dangerous, and that was, just wasn't true. I there think are they figured- bad, fraudulent supplements, but, Yeah.
0: DNA test is not because it's not due to uh, DNA testing problems right. in those. Botanicals. So when a,
1: it could be used reasonably when a supplier receives the plant material before they've processed it, right. That could be a good technique and they, they should develop their technology to make sure it's accurate for multiple varieties, et cetera. But yeah, once it's in a capsule, that's kind of all bets are off.
0: Yeah. Eric let's go through a few urological problems and you give me three herbs that you would use either by themselves or in a formula for these urological problems. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm, I will do it, but I'm going to just push back a little bit and say people have diseases, diseases don't have people like we're treating people, not diseases. So the herb always has to match the person. And people, because disease manifests differently from person to person.
0: So I, I, you're I definitely hear that agree with that. Plus, it's, it's, it's the same thing with, guys, saw palmetto, like women can use saw palmetto for urinary problems. Like, how, how is it that saw palmetto is only associated to, with prostate problems? Like, how did we, you know, black cohosh? I use in men for bone health who are an ADT, for example. Mm-hmm. Hot uh, you hot know, flashes and or, hot flashes, which, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, the, I, I love the the discussion of herbs. Traditionally, u- women herbs used for men, and de- vice versa. But anyway, sort of to make this fun, and um, of course, treat the person. But they're, they're typically what are the what would be the top three, in regardless of of the person, let's just say. Um, I, I know I'm deviating. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm asking you to deviate from. Uh, how you would actually prescribe, which is uh, you know treating the person, not the disease, of course. BPH. Now, BPH. So, beep. They have an enlarged prostate with urinary symptoms. That's important to say because you can have an enlarged prostate and not have urinary symptoms, and you could have a small prostate with urinary symptoms. So, guy with BPH with urinary sy- symptoms. What would what would be three herbs that you would put, uh, either individually or in a formula and any dosages or anything. Let me know.
1: Yeah. The Kela absolutely yeah. for, um, yeah. yeah, the night getting up at night, urgency, frequency, uh, tincture, one to two mills or one to two dropperfuls.
0: Not in a, time as speed. a single herb,
1: as a single herb. That's yep. I'm often use a single, um, yeah, I mean, saw palmetto is helpful. The thing I say about that is it's most helpful for stopping it getting worse. So I always say, like, don't stop taking it because you don't feel anything. Like it, making sure it doesn't keep growing is important. So yeah, and that I do mostly using a capsule because they're going to probably be taking it
0: forever. And so whole so- herb versus standardized. And most of them are standardized uh, to uh, sterols and things of the sort. What what would you What's it's another approaches?
1: one we just have no idea. But, yeah, because so many of the products are standardized, I kind of can't avoid it. So
0: yeah, right, exactly. I've used a
1: range. Um, and, yeah, the doses are different for different products. But the um, anyway, but I'm also really enamored of pumpkin, pumpkin seeds. Okay. Um, yeah. Also seems to be more of a stopping it getting worse kind of thing. And also highlight saw palmetto and pumpkin and nettle root. If you have any kind of a surgery for BPH, to be sure to do that so it doesn't come back because it will. The prostate tissue will grow back and you have right. to do it again. So That's right. We really want to avoid that. Um, but, yeah, I just can have just even eating two or three ounces of pumpkin seeds a day, the green pumpkin seeds without the shells. is. It's really not that much. It's easy to do. But you can also do the capsule.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Prostatitis, let's just say, again, treat the person, of course, there's pelvic pain, pelvic dysfunction. Of course, there's oftentimes stressed, like physiologic, emotional stress that comes along with that, with, with this disease presentation. But let's just call it prostatitis. What would you do there?
1: So um, especially the subset that have pelvic floor dysfunction as part of it. Yeah. I even more than kava, I really like this herb that's called um lousewort. Wow, its Latin name is pedicularis.
0: Can you spell it? Yeah, lousewort,
1: yeah, uh, l o u s e, it's like lice, louse, and then wort w o r t. Oh, okay, which wort is just an old German word for herb. Um, so you see that a lot for European herbs, anyway. Um so this is found in the mountains and all around the northern hemisphere. Um, but yeah, so it's in the Cascade Mountains by me, the Rockies, and it is even in the you know Appalachian Mountains, et cetera. But anyway, um, yeah, that's the what only category of herb is this? How, how does it?
0: How how would it help it's, uh, pelvic? It's a pain.
1: skeletal muscle relaxer. Yeah. Um, so it, but it it does everything kava does, but it tastes way better. And it's more sustainable, (laughs) though. Kava is cultivated, but it just comes from far away. So this is at least in North America, very sustainable. Um, Great. So, yeah, only really available is tincture. Um, And then I actually use I'm going to really go off because the the root that I find for most cases of, of men with prostatitis is they have leaky gut. Yeah. So I use aloe gel and calendula to heal the leaky gut. It has nothing to do with the prostate. Right, right. It's treating the, trying to find and treat the cause.
0: Yeah. To me, I would do things, for example, to treat. that. That's a very, very astute approach for sure. I try to treat their nervous system, whether it's not only botanicals, but breathing exercise and so forth. Because... but. It, it's all connected, right? That, of course, is it's all connected. Um, overactive bladder. So this is a scenario: urinary urgency. Um, that's one of the main symptoms, but also just frequency and and, and the sorts. What What will you do there?
1: Well, um, this is a a really interesting scenario too about herbs. So this is one that lay people cannot use, which is belladonna. Yeah. Um, it you can seriously, dangerously overdose on this herb, but it's it's interesting because there are several drugs for overactive bladder that are based on the constituents in belladonna. It's especially its constituents that are called atropine, mm-hmm. which is actually more than one constituent. It's complicated, but anyway, they, uh, but the whole herb works better and it's safer. I don't under it's synergy, I don't know, but I just have done it so many times.
0: What's the so, danger component of belladonna?
1: So with an overdose, it will cause serious problems with your heart and it could make your heart beat irregularly and it could stop and you could die. Yeah. So that's that's difficult to do, but it can happen. Mm. Um so yeah, this is not this is for trained Practitioners only.
0: Right. Um, what are two other for OAB? O- o- uh, so, yeah,
1: I would say either the um, Kela again, um, or the Kavad if that's if Kela is not available. Um, and then I also do, especially if I'm out of Kela, I can't get it. The I feel like the next closest kind of antispasmodic is Jamaica dogwood. Ah. Uh. Well, that is also dicey on the sustainability front because it's is also it? a tree bark. Yep, and it is it is found in the Caribbean islands. It's not widespread, so it's not officially on any endangered species list. But we could not it could not withstand mass mass harvesting. Is so, I don't want to promote that too much. But that's like a backup temporarily until there's Kela back in stock.
0: Right. So. Jamaican dogwood. I remember. Obviously, I don't treat many females anymore, but I remember using it for uh, PMS sy- symptoms. One of the go-to's, right? Yeah, Jamaican dogwood. Um, erectile dysfunction, ED. Whatever. Remember we, this. This podcast episode will go viral, and people, you run out of things. Whatever comes out of your mouth, there's a good chance that we'll. <laughs>
1: Right. But forget I said anything about
0: <laughs> right. dogwood these these, uh, these These horny goats will go and get whatever it is that you mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that you recommend
1: well most so again e d is really is a symptom of That's what's right. causing it, so most of the time it's due to atherosclerosis hardening yeah. of the artery, and so the herb that has been shown to actually reverse that is garlic, hmm. just boring old garlic. Four year trial in Russia, reversed it. This was they were looking at the coronary arteries, but they went in with the camera before and after, and there was dramatic reduction. So I also like to point out I don't care if it lowers cholesterol. That's not the goal. The goal is to reverse atherosclerosis. That's right. And there are other ways to do that besides lowering cholesterol. That's so right. um, so yeah, get just, just one pure clove a day. garlic. Yeah. One clove a day is what it takes. If you're going to get a capsule, you definitely want to get one that has on the label that it has what's called allison right. potential, not like the woman's name but a l l i c i n that's the smelly garlicky precursor that needs to be there um, and let's see if it's more um there's often an anxiety component right that even if it started as a physical thing. Then, yeah, you get up all in your head and it starts sure. to be, well, what's going to happen? So, again, kava can be really helpful for that. But I I do start to look at the valerians, the skullcaps. Yeah, these kind of calming, anxiety-helping herbs. Um, and then I often use ashwagandha. It's as sort of a
0: famous yeah.
1: male <laughs> adaptogen, which you can yeah. use, anyone can use, but... Um, It is calming, so its Latin name, as you've probably pointed out before, is withania somniferum, like it has the Latin word for sleep in its name. So it is more of a calming, relaxing, but it helps you deal with stress and it very slowly helps to help the blood vessels too.
0: Right. Ashwagandha uh, is also part of the one of my favorite category of herbs, which is adaptogen, right? So kind of helps your body adapt to stressors. Um, so yeah, ashwagandha is a go-to for me as well. Uh, I never thought of garlic for ED. That's a first. That's a first for mm-hmm. me, but you're, you're thinking That's really cool. the way you should think actually, like what's the true cause of the Treat problem? The cause. Treat the cause.
1: I mean, and I will I- say, mm-hmm. go ahead.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I actually, Rather hear from you.
1: Well, this is a strange case where the drugs turned out to be way better. So especially tadalafil Yeah. Um, which is formerly Cialis. Um yeah. they've shown reverses atherosclerosis too. Yeah. yeah. So it actually is treating the cause. Um, so that's a f that's been a funny thing where I used to be very dismissive of those, but boy, if it's actually reversing the problem. Anyway, it's really important with the garlic too, that it takes years. It is not like a month, you're better. It's like, it took decades to build this plaque, it's going to take years to reverse it. So uh, it's not a short term fix. It's a long term fix.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, Another component to that contributes to ED is low testosterone or low available testosterone. Again, guy comes to you with low T, you're treating the whole person, we get that. But what are some of the things that, some of the herbs and botanicals that you would use to try to raise that number and raise, more importantly, free testosterone?
1: So, uh, my first comment is that no herb contains enough testosterone. (laughs) And even if it did, taking oral testosterone, it gets broken down. Doesn't mean it will convert into that, yeah. So especially there's all this ridiculous hype about pine pollen having testosterone. It's ridiculous. Yes, there's a tiny bit, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, right. And all these studies that have ever shown an effect on testosterone in people with testicles (laughs) have been in older men uh, who are based on what we say kind of andropause. So in younger men, herbs do not raise testosterone. There's no evidence of that.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: It, the, oh, because that's a place where supplements are adulterated with tests with and with not ant, testosterone and
0: 5 inhibitors as well yeah uh,
1: yeah so there's are all kinds of drugs that are not on the label so those are really dangerous anyway that's right that's right yeah it's Could the adaptogens nice. for for older men um so asian ginseng ashwagandha those are the yeah that's largely what i would do and it's tongkat again it's Ali? what's your low.
0: opinion on tonkat
1: we have no idea where it's coming from it's commonly adulterated there's no i have no of no source that's clean for sure that is the herb for sure so this yeah i'm intrigued but i just don't know the sourcing is a huge problem the supply sourcing. chain is
0: not there one more uh interstitial cystitis which of course is not only as it relates to men but women get there again, there's a situation where I see a lot of people, a lot of men with, with the IC, but of course they have a prostate, so you got to call it prostatitis. If you don't have a prostate, you call it uh, interstitial cystitis. Um, would it be similar to what you re- would recommend for prostatitis? Uh, Lauswort, yeah. would that be one of them? Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, for IC?
1: I do. And this I use also when it's, people are diagnosed with prostatitis, but I also use... Um, the Chinese herb that's um, called choridalis.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Which is uh, for any chronic pain. And um, it's actually anti addictive. So if someone has had to be on opioids, that's really helpful. And it does partly work in the brain. I also let, when people are told it's all in your head, I'm like, well, then why aren't they treating your head? Like, why are they dismissing you like your head's part of you can you treat that please and cordialis does that so it helps interrupt this process that happens with chronic pain where your brain can't let go of the pain which is most famous when people have to have an amputation and they can still feel their amputated limb because your brain still thinks it's there and still hurts right so we have to, to break that so cordialis has been really helpful that's also a maybe not the best for lay people to just dump on themselves it's i think it's safer than we we thought it was but
0: how, how do you spell that uh,
1: c o r y d a l i
0: s so yeah that's uh, a Dallas. i remember um i use it um in my family actually quite a bit uh it's a it's it's probably the strongest um analgesic and uh uh chinese medicine pharmacopoeia uh if i remember correctly i don't know if there's others but that's one of the that was a go-to
1: well uh, opium is Jan stronger Hufo. but with obvious problems what's that what's that opium is stronger but with obvious problems with, with, exactly that, that
0: is true <laughs> yeah. that, that is true um Eric, final thoughts. Uh, We've gone a little bit over an hour, which is plenty for my podcast. I think you've given us a a wealth of information on the process of botanicals and your approach on prescribing. And certainly we we spoke uh, quite a bit into uh, urological problems. So I thank you for that. Final thoughts from you.
1: If you want to learn about herbs, talk to people that use herbs. That's right. Not that read about them, not that have heard about them, but that actually use them because that practical just like don't go to a surgeon that read about doing your surgery go to a surgeon that's done it a lot like that's that's who has the expertise
0: Um, i appreciate that yep yeah where's that website how many you can mention as many websites including your own where are those sources and resources where people can find uh herbalists that uh uh, that if they if they choose to find an herbalist
1: so, it's definitely, as you mentioned, the American Herbalist Guild is a really good resource because there are <clears throat> there's all kinds of practitioners that, and that does require having a level of practical knowledge to, especially get what's called a registered herbalist credential from them. So,
0: um, I've let that's mine a really expire, Eric. I have been too busy. I, I've let mine expire, but uh, hey, but I think you're right. That's a great resource. Any others? American Botanical <laughs> Council.
1: They don't really have a practitioner certification process. There are people that are members, but that doesn't yeah. mean they're necessarily using herbs. Um, I mean, any of the state naturopathic or the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians websites, but not every ND does that much with herbs. So you do want to look at their bio further. I do have a website that's called BotMed.rocks which has many, many free resources because uh, I'm trying to counter all these myths. So I have like a database of herbs that are safe in pregnancy because there's all kinds of lies about that. Yeah. What uh, drug herb interactions, that's also something that's just been wildly overstated. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, I'm just trying to really put all this information I've got out there. Um, it is very much geared towards practitioners, but there's lots of information that would be Helpful to others.
0: Why don't you repeat posts. the website, Eric?
1: Botmed b o t m e d dot rocks r o c k s. That's botanical it. Botanical huh? medicine rocks.
0: Great. <laughs> Great, Eric. Thank you so much. Um, any other method that the listener can be in touch with you? Uh, your clinic, your website.
1: Yeah, my clinic. Uh, Clinical practice website is urologynd.com. And I do have a clinic in California as well as Washington. You know, work, work broadly with people.
0: If you, you know, want more sunny weather, you just go to California, work there. If you are (laughs) right, probably the most beautiful time in the country is uh, right northwest uh, around, you know, now actually uh, June, yeah, July, August, beautiful. even September. Beautiful. Right? Probably the most beautiful time in the country. Then, of course, it, it gets a little uh, cloudy uh, for the rest of the year.
1: Um, so everyone stay away. Don't come yeah, here. It, <laughs>
0: it's awful. It rains. De- we're, we're, so we're depressed here. We're so depressed. We're
1: covered with mold. It's terrible. Don't come here. <laughs>
0: Eric, thanks so much. I'll put uh, I'll we'll link up to those websites on the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Um I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Our next sponsor partner has a product I use literally every day. I'm talking about AG1. You know, I've been using green powders mixed in drinks for a long time and <laughs> it, ha- it has not always been a great experience, right? The powder clumps up a little bit. It tastes horrible, but you know what? You chug it anyway because it's good for you. AG1 changed the game. With- in AG1, you have 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day the right way. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, and energy to help you recover and focus and help you age successfully. To make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza. ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.